We are in the middle of a Jesus Ethics series, and um, if you haven't um, been with us, we invite you to check out the past talks online. They're on our podcast and, and help you catch up. We've been going through some teachings of Jesus and trying to figure out and discern what is it that Jesus really taught and what is it that he really said and what does that really mean for us in this day and age. And we've been taking a look at some things uh, that we have perhaps traditionally known or traditionally understood, but yet through the lens of culture and through the lens of history, we start to see that maybe what Jesus is saying is much more deep and much more profound than that. Today we're going to uh, give a message entitled, Like a Child. And we're going to open up to, uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 18. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 18 and we'll read a quick passage from there. All right, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. And then let's go to Matthew chapter 19, and we'll skip down to uh, verse 13. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. We'll conclude our reading there. You know, for the many, many years that Danielle and I have been in ministry, there's always this talk and conversation around what do you do with generations? And there's children's ministry, there's youth ministry. Sometimes you don't want to call it youth ministry, so you call it student ministry. Then you got adult ministry, and then you got singles ministry, and then you got ministry to the elderly. And there's all these different segmentations of ministries. And today, uh, we'd like to talk about Jesus' teaching that we just read here in Matthew chapter 18, and the phrase specifically, like a child. But because I have all of these resonances and years and years of all this stuff, when I think of the word child or when I think of the word children, a lot of things come to mind. This is one of them that comes to mind, where scary, overgrown rats somehow are entertainment and skee-ball is entertainment. So that comes to mind. This comes to mind, a whole bunch and slew. Hopefully, maybe some of these titles resonate, and you see this title, and you're like, ooh, that makes me really happy. I remember that book, um, and most recent one that Danielle got me is The Pout Pout Fish, and you can ask later why that's really hilarious for our family. But anyway, uh, there's some books there that I think about. Um, these are specifically designed for children, and yet, of course, some of those books 
even for those of us who are adults, it still resonates with us. Something is still very affectionate. Um, hopefully you remember some of those things, and when you go back to those books, like, oh, I remember that. I, I remember when mom read me that book, or I remember when dad read me that book. Um, I think of books like this, the All Better book uh, by Susie Becker, who asks children beautiful and brilliant questions, and and children, of course, come up with beautiful and brilliant answers. For example, how can you make people feel better about themselves? Well, Tom, age eight, says everyone is good at something, and they should be complimented every day. Uh, Very good wisdom. Do you have any advice for people trying to stay young? Uh, Greg, age seven, apparently already knew about cryogenics. Get frozen is his answer. not a bad idea. Uh, grown-ups need to have more fun. What do you suggest? And Jennifer, age eight, says, celebrate their birthday every day. Uh, now, Jessica, age seven, apparently isn't as virtuous. Uh, she suggests have more boyfriends, <laughs> and you can have a lot more fun. <laughs> when I think of children, I often think of the innocence also of children and the things that they write. And this is another one of my favorite books, Children's Letters to God. Dear God, is it true my father won't get into heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? Uh, That's a a wonderful question. Um, Here's another question. Why did you make the first... um, When you made the first man, did he work as good as we do now, Tom? Question mark. Which to me just reminds me that Tom is kind of an early, you know, um, theistic evolutionist, perhaps. If you're into that debate, you'll find that funny. I do. It's in my brain. Okay, moving on. Uh, Another question. Thank you for my brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy, Joyce says. (laughs) You know, and the reality is that's very profound because a lot of you will do the exact same thing. Thank you, God, for this, but what I really prayed for was for this. When I think of children and children's ministry, I do think of the brilliant theology that comes about with kids. Um, Danielle mentioned some of that last week, and I will mention my favorite theological statement from 10-year-old Matthew, who is now, I think, 19 or 20. He's now got a girlfriend, but he said this very brilliantly. I think um, Pastor Marcus was, was with me during this Bible study. He said, God is like your girlfriend. You don't talk. You just listen. That's brilliant (laughs) on so many levels. Uh, When I think of children, I I think actually some of the perspectives that we have about the people that are young um, is very similar to this video right here. That's Michael Jr., a comedian who takes his camera everywhere he goes, and he says, comedy follows me everywhere. And he entitled this video, Five Hour and Forty Minute Flight. And I think sometimes we have that perception, not all of us and not all of the time, but sometimes we have that thinking, that idea that once we've grown up or once we've become older, the children around us or the children in our lives um, take a different status or a different role or a different position. And, And that video sometimes capsulates sometimes what we feel. Well, I'd like to share with you some perspectives using some cultural backdrops about this phrase, like a child from Matthew chapter 18. A couple things that might highlight for us a different level of meaning. First is this. The phraseology that Jesus uses here, the Greek word is paideon, 
And that's where we get the word pediatric, actually. And he talks about this word being a little child. Now, there's other Greek words and Hebrew words for different stages and ages of children. But what's fascinating about this particular word, paideon, is it has a social construct status meaning behind it that I'm going to get to in just a bit. So it doesn't just simply mean age, but it also means status within the community. There's some hints and clues to that because the other phraseologies that he uses is this word, unless you change and become like a little child, this word change can mean something like to come to believe or to actually change a relationship. There's other words in the Greek that would mean to change your mind or to change behavior. But this word seems to indicate a change of perspective, a change of what you actually are convicted about, a change of what you believe, and a change of a relationship with this segment of the population. And another hint to that for me comes from this word where he uses the word humble, which means to make yourself low, to level off. Now, all of those phraseologies in my mind indicate to me that what Jesus is saying here is not just about becoming like a little child. The other depth to those words and the depth to his teaching is about a perspective shift, about what it is that we have constructed socially and ethically amongst us, what we may perceive or what we may see or what we may believe about the various generations. So there's two main levels here that I'd like to share this evening. The first is, in this phrase, what is commonly known with this teaching, is that we should become like children. We should take on some attributes. But the second is, we should think differently about the status that various generations have amongst us. First, should we become like little children? Well, this is a book that I've been reading that I would recommend to anyone who works with kids. Daniel Siegel has written a book entitled Brainstorm. And one of the things that I love so much about this book, he talks about the development of the adolescent brain, which I know for all of us who have been there, done that, or are currently doing that, are like, what the heck is going on in that adolescent brain? He uses the word essence kind of as an acronym to talk about the emotional spark that is happening within teenagers during this time. There's a social engagement that's necessary. There's the idea of novelty or wanting to try something new all the time. And then there, as a result of that, creative exploration. Now, I would commend to you the book to get a little bit more of what does he mean by all of those things. And he talks about adolescence is a time when you start to do all of these things. And part of the reason why teenagers or adolescence is sometimes a challenging or, or difficult, crazy time. And you ask a teenager, you know, why did you do that? They say, I don't know. They really don't know because they're living out a brain development season. What he says as a result of this that is pertinent, at least to this message, that I love so much. He says, what is happening, actually, during that adolescent time is something that we, as adults, actually should not let go of. He writes this, I'm suggesting that what adolescents have going for them that is both a challenge and a gift is actually what adults need in order to maintain vitality in their lives. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you say, I just am not the same person, or I miss that part of who I am at one particular point. And what he's suggesting is, yeah, when you felt 
fully alive during that time when your brain was doing all that development, when your brain was creatively exploring and finding new things and discovering. He's suggesting that that's happening during adolescence is something that we as adults should not let go of. And then he writes this, I wonder if some of the tension that I see in parents as a reaction towards adolescence is at times a deep longing for these very features they themselves may have lost. Perhaps if adults could recapture some of this vital essence, the gap between the generations would lessen. And I love that quote because I think that actually speaks to one level of what Jesus is talking about here when he says, become like little children. Recapture what it means to be a youth, what it means to be a child, what it means to have full awe and wonder and discovery in this world. And when you look at children and they have this bright-eyedness and this curiosity and um, almost a complete unawareness that they're being socially inappropriate when they ask very strange questions. Maybe that's something we should recapture. So when Jesus says, unless you change and become like little children, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven, I think there's something there that this psychologist and others have written about that actually is deeply profound about Jesus' teaching. And again, it's not about becoming childish, but it's about recapturing those things that make life fully alive. And I really appreciate Dan Siegel's work regarding illuminating that. So level one, yes, let's recapture some of the beauty of that time. I mean, part of the reason I think why we love working with kids so much is, yes, I kind of do want to be a perpetual adolescent for the rest of my life. That's level one. The second level of what Jesus is saying is going to be really helpful for us in understanding the value of children and the value of intergenerational ministry of what we've talked about here when we set it in the backdrop of ancient Rome. Ancient Rome had this amazing way of taking various people in different statuses and organizing them in a hierarchy to have different ranks in culture. And of course, the man on top is Caesar. So you had all sorts of different phrases, phrases that you might be familiar with in your Bibles. Senators, Caesar, Tetrarch, consul, equestrians, plebeians is a word that is often used in our vocabulary. Now, all of these words fall into a way of categorizing people in different statuses, in different ranks. And as a result of that different status or as a result of that different rank, it just simply means that you have a certain value or contribution to society based upon that rank or based upon that status. And Rome was very, very popular. Rome was very well known for this. In fact, this is one of the reasons why ancient Roman history is such a complex human history is because for Christians who were living during the time of Rome, what status did they have? Well, they were in those lower statuses. And so when they start talking about Jesus being Lord, which is the same word as Caesar, they're basically bucking this entire system of status and rank. It's a beautiful thing. Now, we could go into a lot of study about how this works out and what this means, but I think what would be most appropriate is just to simply tell you a story. This guy wrote a book entitled Caligula, and I want to share with you one story from this book that I absolutely love that illustrates why status and rank is so important, at least to the ancient Roman mind. And what Jesus is saying here about becoming like a child helps us to understand what he is saying from a broader perspective. Here's what he says. It's going to be long, so I apologize for the long quote. Dio, who's an ancient historian, reports how Caligula invited in citatus, if I'm saying that word, uh, word correctly, I don't know Latin very well, Hotspur, his favorite racehorse, to dinner, fed him barleycorn made of gold, 
toasted him with golden goblets and planned to make him a consul. Planned to make his horse a rank within the Roman government. The meaning of this last gesture, the horse becoming a rank, perhaps the emperor's most notorious, which seems to make no sense, can be inferred from the parallel account by Suetonius, who's another historian, who reports this, that in addition to a marble stall, a manger made of ivory, and purple blankets, Caligula gave his horse a palace, a staff of servants, and a dinner service so that the guests received in his name could be entertained as grandly as possible. Lastly, Suetonius also mentions that the emperor planned to appoint the horse to his consulship. A horse to a position of governance. There is no way to know whether everyone in Rome got this joke. Nor can we tell whether Suetonius understood it later or, as seems more likely, failed to understand it on purpose. There can be no doubt, however, about who in Rome would have gotten the point at the start of 39. The households of the senators, their houses, servants, and dinner services represented a central manifestation of their social status. Achieving the consulship remained the most important goal of an aristocrat's career, to equip the emperor's horse with a sumptuous household and to destine it for the consulship, satirized the main aim of aristocrats' lives and laid it open to ridicule. Caligula placed his horse on the same level as the highest-ranking members of society and by implication equated them with a horse. Do you hear what he did there? <laughs> it's sick in the brain. A lot of historians have written about being really crazy. And was Caligula actually mad and out of his mind? Or was he one of those really brilliant people? What did he do? He takes his favorite horse, his favorite racehorse, and he appoints him to a particular position and status within the governance, which is, according to history, the highest ranking status. And by putting that horse in that status, he's making commentary on all the other ranks that are below. And as was pointed out in this book, some people in Rome may have thought he was mad. Other people may have thought he was crazy. But the senators of Rome would have understood, you're insulting my position right now. You are making fun of the role that I play and ultimately the status that I have in this society. You are poking fun at what I think is actually a really big deal. And Caligula, by putting his horse there, is saying, you're not a big deal, and putting them down. This, to me, I think, illustrates a cultural backdrop for what Jesus is saying here when he uses those words, when he talks about children, the word paideia, when he talks about humbling, when he talks about putting yourself in a lower position or a lower status. If you take the vocabulary of what Jesus is saying there in Matthew chapter 18 and take the culture of hierarchy, rank, status, power, position of Rome, and you take this idea that social status is a really, really big deal. I think what Jesus is saying is those of us, all of us who want to be, quote, great in the kingdom of heaven, we must think differently about these social ranks and these social statuses. 
And here's the deal. Paideon, children in ancient Rome, had no status. According to, depending upon what historian you read, the only status and rank that they had was attributed to whoever they were under, whether it was a father or what, if they were a slave, their master. They had no rank. They had no status. I think this is illustrated even further by the idea that they are asking the question, who is greatest? The word there is mega. Who's the highest rank in the kingdom of heaven? And the question itself by Jesus' response is almost an absurd one because he says, you want to know who's got the highest rank in the kingdom of heaven? In my movement, in the thing that I'm trying to do in this world, in the kind of life that I'm trying to live out for everybody, inviting people to live, you want to know who's got the highest rank? Is it patrician? Is it equestrian? Is it consul? Is it, who's got the highest rank? And Jesus flips and says, unless you become like this status, the very lowest status, then you... You don't get it. And it is this status, your position, whatever it might happen to be in this world, if you lower yourself to that position, that, that lowering, that humbling of yourself is what makes you great in the kingdom of heaven. So I'm going to suggest to you that like a child is not just about becoming a child, but the willingness to challenge the social status and hierarchical system. Whatever constructs we happen to have in our world, whatever statuses and hierarchies that we might happen to see, whatever big deals that we might happen to think that we are or other people are, to become like a child, to equate yourself with somebody of low rank and of low status, to enter into the kingdom of heaven in that way, is to challenge all of those things. He says in 18.4, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. Of heaven. There's that term again of lower rank. Let me see if I can illustrate this a little bit better. Charles Stanley has a nationwide ministry. Many of you know him, many of you listen to his messages. Now, for all practical purposes, Charles Stanley is at the top of the Charles Stanley ministry food chain. Could we all agree with that? His name is on the ministry. Okay, so he's the guy who's got the highest rank and highest status. And Andy Stanley, his son, tells a story about how Charles Stanley, during the most heightened seasons of Christmas and of tapes and of ministries and where his staff of a lower status is now trying to push out all of the, back then, tapes, CDs, MPVs, as they're trying to give all these gifts, which is a big deal in a big ministry. Charles Stanley, every year, would go down into the warehouse, put on the gloves, and assume what would be in the organizational chart, the lowest status and help out. The challenge that Charles Stanley is saying, that there is nobody in this rank and file that has less value or is of a different rank or of a different status. In other words, he's becoming like a child. There's another story that's told by this guy uh, named Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins is a famous, uh, well-known musician back in the 90s and he had a phenomenal ministry and there's this kind of mythical story that's told about him but i've read it multiple times that i think it's true that at the dove awards now the dove awards for those of you who don't know is like the hierarchy of awards for christian music it's like it doesn't get any higher than this and he was nominated for one of these awards so he there he is he's in a position of honor and a position of prestige a position of status 
and somebody reports that Rich Mullins, who's very well known in this arena, actually took off whatever vestments he had and put on the chef's clothing and got behind the bar and relieved one of the workers at the hotel that he was staying at and began serving everybody else. And people talk about a person of this position and prestige lowering themselves to a different position and rank to say, no, there is no separation of hierarchy here. Guess what? I'm just a musician. I'm just a follower of Jesus. Your position is no different from mine. And an action to take on that position was him challenging whatever that status was, challenging whatever that hierarchy and challenging whatever that rank was. This happened to me recently, uh, actually uh, about a year ago. I was over at Congregation Beth Jacob in Oakland, and I was having a conversation with the rabbi. I'm a pastor. He's the rabbi. We're having adult conversation, correct? And his nine-year-old daughter comes over and tugs on him and says, Daddy, Daddy, you promised that you would dance with me. Now, I've been in multiple situations where children interrupt. What's the normal social protocol when children interrupt? Yeah, you, yeah, you're all grinning now because you, you don't want to say it out loud. And you're, yeah, we should be a little ashamed. Hold on, daddy's talking, and you finish your conversation. What does this rabbi do? <laughs> I got to go dance with my daughter. And interrupts mid-sentence and says, I'm going to go dance with her because I made that promise. Now, because I've been in youth ministry and children's ministry a long time, I was floored, astounded, and absolutely awed and inspired that a child in the midst, whatever rank and status might happen to exist in the social sphere, does not exist when it comes to higher spiritual values and ethics. In other words, we're all kind of a big deal. Every single one of us. So when Jesus says, come like a child, it is the willingness to become like a child in the ways to take on those attributes But it's also the willingness to challenge the social status and hierarchical systems that classify and categorize people's value or worth. And I will tell you, we live in a culture, and we've lived in a culture for a very, very long time, dating back to Rome, dating back to Babylon, dating back to the very, very beginning, where we automatically classify and categorize people based upon status, rank, value. And I'm suggesting that Jesus' reference to children here, like a child, is challenging all of that and saying, Every single one of us is a big deal, from the very old to the very young. By the way, doesn't this sound familiar? This goes back to the very first teaching that we gave in our Jesus Ethics series, that you are going to treat me like an equal. These status social constructs do not exist in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is doing here, he is just simply applying that same ethic now to generations and to age. Whoever welcomes me welcomes one such child in my name, welcomes me. In other words, when we do this, we are welcoming Jesus into the very midst of us. Because it seems to me that Jesus himself is the first one to model what it means to humble himself to very lowly status. This is so important that Jesus then teaches this phrase, um, later on about the stone around the neck. But he changes this phrase from children to little ones. It's a play on words. You can't see it in the English, but you can see it in the Greek. What is the mega commandment? And he says, if anyone causes one of these micro ones, the mega and micro, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, I will tell you 
It's better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown into the sea. Now, this is really harsh teaching. For that, we need to go to the city where Jesus most likely was when he was teaching this at Capernaum or Capernaum, where they have millstones that are about this size. You can see they're made out of basalt stone. They're extremely heavy. They're turned and turned where you put the flour, excuse me, the wheat in the top, and you turn it around and flour comes around. There's also another millstone which looks like this where you crush olives. And what Jesus is saying, take that thing, tie it around your neck, if you're going to cause one of these little ones to tumble, tie it around your neck and go throw yourself into there. Now, one of the fundamental things that we need to understand is all the way back to the Genesis series over a year ago when we talked about this, does anybody remember what the sea represents? Chaos, the underworld, the abode, Hades, hell. If you're going to cause any one of these little ones to stumble, you're best off taking a millstone, go throw yourself into hell. This is really harsh. This is really harsh teaching. Later on, he says, let the children come. Don't hinder them. Whatever social statuses that we think exist, we abolish them. Why? Because every generation has something other generations need from which they can benefit experience. Experience, perspectives, stories, etc. We need them just as much as they need us. I'd like to illustrate that very quickly with two videos. The first one is America's favorite neighbor. Watch Mr. Rogers, who has dedicated his life to children, receive one of the most prestigious awards, the Daytime Emmy Awards. I think it was number 84. Ladies and gentlemen, the best neighbor any of us has ever had, Fred Rogers. For giving generation upon generation of children confidence in themselves, for being their friend, for telling them again and again and again that they are special and that they have worth. It is my honor on behalf of everyone here and on behalf of the millions of children whose mornings you have brightened with your kindness to present you with this Lifetime Achievement Award. It's a beautiful night in this neighborhood. <laughs> so many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are. Those who have cared about you, 
and wanted what was best for you in life. Ten seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. I'm going to skip ahead because I'm running out of time. I'm going to sh- I would like to show you another video later, but I'll, uh, we'll show that at the end. Um, what I, I use this phrase frequently when I talk about... Um, children and youth, and I talk about different generations, and I talk about postmodernism, I talk about the, the ways in which we all grew up in this world, and I think what Jesus is talking about here, and something that is of deep value to me and to us here, is to completely rid ourselves of generational chauvinism, to think that any particular generation is better than another, and I think to become like a little child, to lower yourself to that particular status, is basically to equate every single generation the young and the old. And this is stuff, I'm running out of time, this is stuff that um, we can talk about even further because people are starting to recognize that the value of recognizing children and the value of recognizing that status means that not only do the children benefit, but you benefit as well. Everybody benefits as a result of this reciprocal relationship. Mark Matlock talks about this. He says, we believe that kids are co-creators and conspirators in the divine work of the church, restoring life on earth as it is in heaven. And then one last thing that I want you to hear very, very clearly from Jesus. Um, John chapter 21, verse 5. The disciples are out on the boat. Jesus has just been resurrected, and he comes out and yells across the sea to them. And he says, have you caught any fish friends? And many of your translations actually say friends. Anybody want to guess what the actual Greek word there is he's using? He's using the exact same word that he used earlier in Matthew chapter 18 and 19. It's actually the word children. Children, have you caught any fish? And by that, what I'd like for all of us to hear is when we come like little children, and as we humble ourselves to those lowly places, guess what? We recognize that we ourselves are children of God. Why? Because ch- being a child in this particular way, to lower that status, to demolish whatever those social statuses are, means that being a child is nothing to do about age, has nothing to do about generation, and those gaps has everything to do with your identity in relationship with the Father. And every single one of us, every single one of us had that divine, beautiful privilege and opportunity. We've been using this graphic Uh, throughout the series, to say one thing versus the other. I don't know how you may have thought about generations. I don't know what you may have thought about children. I don't know necessarily what you may have thought about old and young and all those different ideas. All I would just simply suggest is that Jesus' teaching here is inviting us, yes, to become like a child, but he's also inviting us to shed whatever social statuses that we might happen to see or believe about who's more important or less important in in the midst of our community. And then to recognize that as we do that, every single one of us is actually a child of God because being a child has nothing to do with age or generation, but has everything to do with our relationship with the Heavenly Father. We're going to open up the doors. We're going to let the children in. And this is what I'd like for you to do. 
we're going to encourage you to do. As they come running through, they're going to come to the front. Dave, actually, come up and uh, the team, we're going to sing the chorus one more time of Your Love is Deep as they come forward as a celebration of this teaching as the time that they've had together. Let's go ahead. And, oh, wait, hold on one second. And as they come in, I would love for you, just as an exemplification of this value, to applaud them, high-five them. And it's not just about the children, it's about every generation. I would love for you to high-five or give somebody a hug who is of a different generation than you. And if somebody comes up to you and high-fives you and you don't think that they are of a different generation than you, (laughs) consider that a tremendous privilege because we value every single generation. And as we value every generation that comes together, all of us will benefit together. Let's give the kids a big warm round of applause and welcome as they come back in. And let's go ahead and sing.